You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined by Rich Hoffman, who never, ever, ever misses the record button after we start talking. How you doing, Rich? Never. Never. Hey, man, I've been in Minnesota for a week where Minnesota. it's freezing. Yeah. Minnesota. I, uh, they, say, I, they, I, say you, they say you betcha all the time, too. <laughs> I picture it kind of like an Alaskan Sarah Palin accent, which is probably completely wrong, but I don't have a whole lot of, uh, whole lot of experience in Minnesota. So Rich was in the frozen tundra. Uh, we were left here to our own devices. Been a while since we had one of these. We we missed we missed last week, so we got a lot to catch up on. It's mostly going to be about the trade deadline, which is coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow, 3 p.m. Uh, is the last day to make trades for the season, or at least until you're eliminated from the playoffs, which for the Sixers is usually pretty early, uh, but might be different this year. Anyway, before we get into all that, we do have to start with last night's Sixers-Wiz game. Sixers pulled out another win, which seemed like they were destined to lose. Markel Fultz made his first public comments since um, October, I believe. And Chris Stapps Porzingis is out with a torn ACL, and they need yet another replacement for the Eastern Conference team. Where do you want to start with that, Rich? Um, let's start with the most important thing. Usually I'm a guy who says, Get, let's do the worst news first. And uh, I think whether or not it's bad news, it's been a steady stream of bad news, but Fultz seems like the most important topic. Yeah, um, let's see, where did it even go from this? So he basically said, I'm trying to pull up your quotes from theathletic.com this morning, but he basically said it's taken longer than expected. Uh, it has been um, difficult. He has to relearn the shooting mechanics. Kind of said that unprompted, too, because, you know, in this this weird uh PR sort of set up where Karan Butler was asking him the yeah. questions. Which uh, people, he, you really want to know, what, people want to know why he had, his first time speaking was a 50-second interview with Karan Butler on TNT. They share the same agent. Just point blank, that's why it happened. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, which is kind of infuriating to us, I'm not going to lie. Oh, uh, completely. And, it should be, and quite frankly, it should be infuriating to fans, too, because you don't get... 50-second clip on TNT, you don't get the chance to, you know, ask a follow-up question, probe him, ask, and you, there's there's only one person there. It's it's not a good avenue to get information, which is why an agent would love that avenue to get their message out. But but it was kind of revealing that unprompted, he did say, yeah, you know, I think Butler asked him about, <laughs> I think he read the, the medical jargon that they, uh, you know, with the scalpular injury or whatever it is. And Fultz just came out and said, yeah, it's it's taken me a while to relearn my shot. It's been a much slower process than I thought it would be. And I'm paraphrasing there, but that is essentially what he said. Um, yeah, and, and then after the game, we asked Brett Brown, what uh, what is keeping him out of practice? Because, you know, as me and you know, the uh, the rule is for the NBA, if you do not practice fully – then the team is not required to make that player available. Right. The The rule is even if you're not playing in games, you have to be made available within a week of being a full participant in practice, which key, in a key way is different than being on playing in five-on-five five scrimmages. Now, you might ask, if a player is able to play five-on-five, five, what possibly would he not be cleared to do? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Brett Brown... Again, who, who we like and who I think both of us have pointed out on Twitter is being thrust in front of this uh, this issue more than any of the other ones. And there's been a few uh, during his time here. I, I don't have – I'm pulling up the quote now, but his answer was conditioning. Yeah, yeah. it's – you know, he doesn't go through everything. There are some drills that I take him out of, but he goes through a lot. He goes through a large majority of the practice. It isn't 100% yet, which is key. It's really like the talking point he has to get in. But it is a very large majority of our practices. Okay, so what drills are you taking him out of? When I feel there's some conditioning stuff, I'll take him out of it, but it's not much. 
well, why don't you want him doing the conditioning stuff? Because I feel like he looks like he hasn't played basketball for a while, so I take him out. Now, granted, he was cleared for five on five a month ago. He was cleared. He was cleared medically two months ago. Uh, Are there drills that Markel has held out of that have to do with his shoulder? Not entirely. No. Again, I on top of that, he has a shoulder injury. This is not where you're immobile for a few months. His conditioning should not have gone to shit. Correct. Yeah. So it's. I mean, this is. I mean, this is not still, a, still is extremely not a, frustrating. This is not I, a know. tough read between the line. They, you know, when is Markel going to play? Well, Markel will play when he can shoot. Okay. Well, when is Markel going to talk to the media? Markel is going to talk to the media when he's able to play. It's really that simple. That's what the team is trying to do. From their perspective, I get it. You know, this is a difficult situation. You're going to want to protect Markel as much as possible. He's going to have to face some real questions when he does come back. Here's what I'll say, though. Those questions aren't getting any easier. Like, I think they think if he comes back and plays well and shows that he's through the injury, then the questions will be a little less pointed in nature. Which, okay, maybe if he comes back and he's exactly who he was at Washington, that would be the case. Not entirely. Like, you're still going to want to know why in the heck... You missed three-fourths of a season, but the questions won't be as severe. But look, what do you think the odds are that right when Markel comes back, we see him come off a pick-and-roll and and shoot a a three off the dribble? Like 2%, maybe? Maybe? Um, You mean like like TJ McConnell? Right, he hit one last night. He had a a Dario one-handed dunk, an Amir three, an Amir air ball, uh, a Jared Bayless oop, and a TJ McConnell off the dribble three in one quarter of basketball. It was insane. Put that quarter in a time capsule. <laughs> right, it'll never happen again. But this isn't this isn't a, a realistic outcome for Markel. Like he's going to come back in, and even if he looks good, even if he gets to his spots, even if you see that live dribble, even if he's hitting fifteen foot pull up jump shots, there's going to be some aspect of his game where you're going to see the side effect of having to quote unquote relearn his shot. Markel's words, not mine. There's going to be some side effect of that, and because of that, you're still going to get these pointed questions. Like, quite frankly, and. There's some people who think that if we press people on Markel, then we don't like Markel. That's not it at all. Our job is to get the story, hopefully in an unbiased way, and to get all the information and present that to you, the fans. And we're going to have to do that job if Markel is not ready to go right when he steps on that court. So I don't think there – and the only other option, you know, maybe if you want to say – What's his chance of coming back and being 100% with his jump shot right away, right when he comes back? Well, in order to do that, I really think you're probably going to have to come back next fall. And if he comes back next fall, even if he's 100%, that's going to be one hell of a storyline. He's going to be asked those questions anyway. So I don't I don't really know what they – like, I don't think their strategy of protecting Markel is going to matter in the long run because at the end of the day, he's going to have to answer these very same questions anyway. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, and to even go beyond their strategy, and I, I totally agree. I mean, I don't think he, he's going to have to face questions at some point. That is absolute. I mean, that's a fact. Um, but but looking at what their strategy should be in terms of what's best for him in terms of his on court development, I think. I, I mean, you know, I've said this a few times on this podcast that I would shut him down for the year. They really need to start looking at that because. I mean, it's very clear and was made even more clear last night that his shot is what is holding him back at this point. Uh, I mean, what what do we have, 31 games left? Uh, Yes, 31 games. 31 games, and this team is in the eighth seed right now. And there are a million teams around him, and Detroit just got Blake Griffin, so they're looking better. So, you know, if they want to make the playoffs, that is going to be – an extremely weird, you know, it's going to be awkward to reinsert him into the lineup. I mean, wh- whose minutes are you taking? You taking TJ's minutes for a guy who can't shoot? I went back and I checked. So Markel's last game that he played in college was February 18th. So, you know, you go another 11 days and you're going to be at a point where he didn't play any more college basketball. From that time until now, he will have played three summer league games, two preseason games, and four regular season games. And that's it. And that that's all the competitive team basketball he has played in a 12-month span. So you've got a 19-year-old kid who has a crazy adjustment to the NBA. And look, that's a very real adjustment. Most of his peers have already gone through that adjustment period months ago. He's going to be hitting the NBA season in mid-stride when everybody's up to game speed. 
and now you're, he has to relearn the most important aspect of the game in 2018. You know, this is, like you said, this is going to be a real... Look, if he comes back after the All-Star break, I think there's 27 games left after the All-Star break, you probably do it. If he comes back at first day of March, probably about 20, 23 games left, you probably do it. But if you get into mid-March and there's 15 games, 12 games left, you can't bring this kid back in the middle of a playoff race. It's not fair to the rest of the team. Yeah, exactly. And that's the first point. And then here's the second point. It's not fair to him either. Yeah. He he will be – oh, my God. Can you imagine if they're playing against uh, – you know, I haven't looked at the end of their schedule, but let's say there's a big game against Milwaukee and they're playing for playoff seating and the starters just do a great job and then they bring him in and he stinks to join up and they just blow the lead right away. Now, that wouldn't totally be any different from what we're seeing right, right. now. But, I mean, he – the microscope that kid is going to be under – it's, oh, if he loses them one game, he's going to get killed. He's going to get killed by the fan base. And, I mean, just from what we've seen, the the inconsistency in that shot, the God, the, the inability to shoot it outside of 10 feet. By the I, way, we, th- ever since we took those videos in, like, early, I want to say, like, January 13th. I'm just kind of throwing out a number, but it feels like that's around the right date. Ever since we took those videos of him taking a three back then, he hasn't taken another one in public. Everything is... You know, 10-foot, 12-foot, turnaround, free throw, and that's it. That's it. And, yeah, some of these look good. I'll give you that. But if he's not able to take long-range jump shots in, 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 out in public, I just why would I have confidence that he's right on the doorstep of returning and being effective? Yeah, and we can even argue. I mean, some of them looking good. I mean, some of them look terrible, too. They so, have. They have. Uh, I, look, I, I think you're right that shielding him from the media and – you know, except for Karan Butler, uh, is is no good. But uh, you know, he can answer the questions better, in my opinion, when he's ready to actually play NBA basketball. And in my opinion, that's going to be next fall. You know, it's just well, then somebody's got to talk about it. You can't abso- say you can't oh, say absolutely. early January he's playing five on five, and oh by the way, early April he's still not playing, and have nobody other than the coach talk about it. And the coach at this point pretty much blows off the questions. And I, I'm right there with you. This shouldn't be Brett's job to answer this. This is this is Colangelo. This is front office. You know, where's Waldo? Where is Waldo? Why will he not talk about what is going on with his basketball team? Astounding. It's true, man. And yeah, it's just I. It, what bothers me from the Sixers standpoint is them continue. I mean, Brett continues to insist that he's going to play at some point. I well, mean, he's clearly it's conditioning. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope Brett realized like how ridiculous those answers he gave last night. I mean, were. he kind of hesitated on each of them. I think he, I think he knew. I think, I think he knew he had to say something. Ugh, it's just there's no way that after a month of five on five conditioning should be why he can't talk to the media. That's absurd. Absurd. Yeah. So I mean, like, look, if I were them, I I would have shut this down a while ago and. Told him, you know, I would have had Colangelo speak, obviously, and I probably would have had Fultz speak, too. I mean, I guess. And then send him away. (laughs) Seriously. Siberia with a basketball and a trainer, yeah. Um, I guess the one reason I'll say they might not want to shut him down, there's probably an emotional aspect for the athlete who's probably really fighting to get back, and that's maybe giving him some a little bit of inspiration, the chance to come back. So even if maybe you're not confident he's going to get to where he needs to be with that jump shot, you leave that out there as maybe a carrot for him. That's really the only reason I can think of, because I'm I'm sure Markel wants to come back. I don't think he wants to be the guy who broke his jump shot and spent the year on the bench. But I I, I think that's... Look, maybe he comes back right after the All-Star break. That's the only real way I see this being salvaged, though. We'll see. I mean, because, look, you mentioned this earlier. If if he comes back after the All-Star break and looks like Washington Fultz, I'm not even going to be writing the happy story. It's going to be like a what-the-F story. Uh, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, I also don't see that happening. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, – I, I honestly think that was the biggest story of last night's game, a, a nice win for the Sixers and – Simmons potentially making the all-star game, but that, that to me stuck out from last night. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's so crystal clear. He's not, 
he's not being listed as a full, full participant because they don't want him dealing with unscripted um, discussions with the media. It's it's and quite frankly, that's why I asked the question: What is he not able to do? Because I like I I know the rules of when he's supposed to talk, and I wanted to see what their answer was, and it's it's pretty clear how they uh, how they answered it. So. Before we head into last night's game, a real quick word from Simple Contacts. Are you like me, blind as a bat and lazy? Or maybe to phrase that in a nicer way, really efficient with your time? If so, I have the perfect solution for you. And one of my very favorite online services, Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts is a convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your preferred brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. It's Vision Care Simplified. Need to renew your prescription? They have a five-minute test that you can take right from their phone or computer. It's then reviewed by a licensed doctor, and you receive a renewed one-year prescription and reorder your contacts right there. Please do note, though, that this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Simple Contacts offers you an unbeatable combination of convenience in doing it from your own home, speed in that it takes less than five minutes from start to end, reliability of being reviewed by doctors and licensed ophthalmologists, the choice of the brand of contacts you want, customer care for your order, and all at the best price point possible. As many can attest to, I am legitimately blind as a bat, and the last time I needed new contact lenses, I gave Simple Contacts a try. It truthfully couldn't have been any easier. Right from the comfort of my home and with a wonderfully designed app to make the process even easier. No setting up an appointment, no traveling to the doctor and sitting in the waiting area, and on top of that, it saved me money over what I paid the last time I went in to get my prescriptions refilled. Whether you already know your prescription and the brand that you want, or if you need your eyes rechecked, Simple Contacts is the way to go. In the past, I would put off getting my contact lenses replaced because I didn't feel like dealing with the hassle. No more. With Simple Contacts, I get the same trusted brands at a fraction of the price and in minutes. Best of all, our listeners get $30 off their first Simple Contacts order. To save $30 on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com slash Sixersbeat or enter promo code Sixersbeat at checkout. Again, that's simplecontacts.com slash Sixersbeat or enter the code Sixersbeat at checkout. Give it a try and you won't be disappointed. All right, moving on to last night's game, the secondary uh, concern. Real interesting game. It felt like at times they should have lost that lead a half a dozen times. It felt like they should have gotten run out of the building even with John Wall. Then you look up and it's a wire-to-wire win based off of you know, incredible shooting and individual play. It was a, and then they're getting killed on the glass all night. A lot of that with Joel in the in the game. I think twelve of their sixteen offensive rebounds by the Wizards came with Joel in the game. Turned the ball over a ton. Covington especially bad. Joel, um, oddly, was was not the problem this time, but just a, a really unbalanced game. Yeah, JoJo left his box out techniques in uh, Minnesota for the game because. I, I don't know what he was doing on some of those. He was just standing under the basket. And, yeah, it was like you said. There were long stretches of that game where I was annoyed watching them with how sloppy the offensive execution was. And, I mean, just the the lack of rebounding. It, just, it was frustrating. But, I mean, when the Sixers were good last night, they were awesome. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about all the, uh, all the time capsule plays, all the unlikely uh, – Bench guys making those plays in the first half, but I mean, God, you had Ben Simmons. He only had fifteen and eight, but I mean, God, they were a lot of highlight reel plays. That one finish he had, where he uh, he kind of sliced in between four defenders, that was awesome. And then he hit a, I forget who the defender was. It was like the second play of the game where he crossed the hell out of somebody. Um, he was great. JoJo from the uh, what the Sixers call the Malone line, which is sort of about 15 feet away in between the baseline and the wing. He was just money, and he splashed in. I think it was three top of the arc threes too. Yep, you know, very very good from him. Uh, Dario uh, again just continues to build on this really solid season he's having. 20 points on eight of 14 shooting, seven boards, and Redick made some good shots off the move. So you know. It was it was a weird game in that I thought for close to half of it the Sixers were pretty dreadful because I, I think Brown called those turnovers rogue and some of those Covington turnovers were just maddening. I, I don't know what he was seeing, but it's kind of hard to complain when you win wire to wire against a team that had won five games in a row. Yeah, I mean, look, when everyone in your starting lineup outside of your point guard who can't shoot 
makes at least two threes. You know, you had Covington two of seven, uh, Dario two of four, Joel three of seven, and Redick four of five. You stand a pretty good chance to win. And Joel was funny because on the one hand, like you said, he'd get caught under the rim. He wouldn't box out. He'd give up those kind of long rebounds because he just wasn't doing his job. And then he'd pull down a contested rebound in traffic. And I think he ended up with like 13 on the night. So it's it's weird saying he was the issue on the defensive glass, but he really was. Just a, a really weird game. Your turnover is not coming really from, you know, again, Embiid, I think, had, what, one? Uh, Simmons had five, and Simmons had been doing better in that regard for a while there. Uh, but five from Covington were just killers. It was just a, a real, like like you said, excellent one minute highlight reel, and then just complete slop. And and um, you know that was a team that was coming off a five game winning streak without John Wall too, and beaten they've beaten some pretty good teams too. I don't a hundred percent know how they did it. I kind of think there's a little smoke you and mirrors. You turned to me in the first quarter, and you were, you were like, I, I can't believe this I, team won five straight games. I still can't. I'd have to go back and watch those games that they play, because th- that does not seem like a team that has the depth or the uh, talent to beat some of the teams that they did. But overall, that was a pretty good win for the Sixers. And while they have kind of been up and down of late, you know, I think they've lost four of their last six wins have come against the Heat and the Wizards, and those are two real important victories. Yeah, and now they have, you know, they have a nice run into the All-Star break here. They have a – even after the All-Star break, too. They've been up and down all year. That's why, you know, when I was in, in Super Bowl land, they uh, they lost four or five. But it, it was hard to get too worked up about it just because, obviously, that, that loss to Brooklyn – or that – yeah, the, the Brooklyn game just seemed like a disaster on the defensive end. But they've been up and down all year, and they, they've had longer stretches of bad basketball than that. So it just seemed like they'd bounce back. And now they have, I mean, you want to talk about the injury luck going their way? Yeah, well, I'll say about the up and down. <coughs> Excuse me. The up and down. It seemed like throughout the season it would be weeks where you'd be up. Like you'd be 8-3. and three, Then you'd lose 9 of 10. Then you'd win 10 of 14. Like you'd go through really pronounced spells. Yeah, this seems true. very game-to-game was- game inconsistent. Yeah, this was a mini one. So, but, so yeah, I think what what do we got? That. We got Blake got just traded, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. the the Clippers are a much lesser team. Uh, Demarcus Cousins on Saturday night. Is that the right order? Is it Pelicans first? It's it's one of those two. It's Pelicans Clippers Friday Saturday. Uh, oh, you talking Obviously, schedule? those are yeah, and those are diminished. And then yep. yeah, I mean, and then Porzingis and the Heat, Bulls, Magic, Wizards, Heat. Like these are these are, and then you got. The Cavaliers are a complete shit show right now. So you've got you're finishing out the month here with some some very winnable games for sure. Yeah, and look, I mean, I don't want to pretend that you know Brown talks about this all the time. They've lost a lot of bad games this year. The uh, the ones I'm thinking, and a lot of bad games at home too. I wonder how many teams have lost to the Lakers, Suns, and Kings at home <laughs> at the end of the year. I bet you it's probably uh, among Eastern Conference teams. At the end of the year, my guess would be that nobody else has pulled that trifecta off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so look, I mean, they got to go out and beat these teams, but they they're right there in front of them. And uh, you know, I, I'm sure they're going to have to play a little bit more consistent basketball last night. But that was a nice win uh, in front of uh, 26 Eagles chants. I think I heard <laughs> last night. And two Sounds about uh, right, yeah. Two Foles uh, skull numbers too. I. Uh, I got to say, too, there, there were a few people who were annoyed by those. There is nobody in the world who gets more annoyed by Eagles chants coming out of nowhere than me. God, when, when somebody does that in a bar, uh, my blood pressure just shoots up. It's so annoying. Man, they just won the Super Bowl. They, they could have done that the whole night, and I would have said it was justified. <laughs> Honestly, and I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't like – it doesn't really annoy me. But it also seems like it's it's a little too – like, it's one thing to do an Eagles chant in the week before or after the Super Bowl. It's another thing when you're doing an Eagles chant in, like, July. And, I'm, like, you'll see I'm Sixers, with you. And if, and if we hear this in April, I'll start complaining just like you. Right, right. But, um, but you'll go to Philly's game in July, and it's like, come on, guys. What, what Like, what are, you, what are you even chanting about? Like, OTA? It's like, no, come on, stop. <laughs> um, no, they're just chanting it to be loud. <laughs> Uh, anyway, moving on to oh, but my only complaint last night with the Eagles' chance was they just they never really got it in unison. I felt like it could have been better. Uh, that was the only thing that really annoyed me. Like, 
a little more coordination, and I think it could have had more impact. Outside of the full, the Foles one seemed the best. Foles one seemed the best. That I think people are going to keep doing that for forever too. <laughs> at, at Eagles games ten years from now, people are still going to be doing the full skull chant, deservedly so too. All right, moving on to Chris Stapps and the vacant All Star spot. Uh, Porzingis obviously tore his ACL last night, uh, or uh, probably more accurately uh, Tuesday night because I, I'm not sure exactly when this will get out. Um, leaving a, yet another vacant Eastern Conference reserve to be replaced. So you've had, what, Kevin Love go down? or Yeah, Kevin Love go down, and Andre Miller took his spot. Then you had... Andre Miller? <laughs> Come on. He's playing in the senior league. <laughs> well, and he's still jumping the same height, too. Um, yeah. You had Andre Drummond <laughs> take his spot. And then you had... Christ, I'm thrown off my game now. Who's the second injury? Oh, Wall. So you had Andre Drummond replace John Wall. Then you had Goran Dragic replace Kevin Love. Now with Kristaps Porzingis out, you have a lot of speculation whether or not it could be Ben Simmons' turn. Do you think it should be? I think it would be justifiable. Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit last night. Goran Dragic should not be an all-star. Right. And that's why it's going to hurt him. And that's the one that might screw with Ben here because there is another deserving guy who could uh, replace Porzingis here, and that's Kemba Walker. Do you know the rules on Blake Griffin? It's a great question. I I have no idea. Because Adam Silver just typically goes down the list of who the coaches voted for. Coaches wouldn't have voted for Blake Griffin because Blake Griffin was in the Western Conference when that vote happened. So uh, Adam Silver would have to go pretty much against his protocol, which isn't, I don't think, set in stone. It's just kind of precedent. I'm not sure he would do that, but this is a pretty extenuating circumstance, too. Yeah. And, I mean, if you want to put Blake Griffin in, I that would – I mean, that would be very deserving if if you did break the protocol. I, I don't think he's going to put him in. If, if you get traded – I don't know. We'll see. Let, let's let's keep it to uh, to Kemba. Kemba and Ben, though. Uh, Kemba's on a worse team, uh, but he's having a really good year. And Here, it's here's not my his... rebuttal: that Kemba and the Hornets are like a plus four point nine when he's on the court. Ben and the Sixers are like a plus three point six. Yeah, that's, yeah. You cut me off, man. I said oh. it's not his fault. They're a bad team. Sorry, uh, sorry. Yeah, but th- that's true. And you know, God. I, I, What's Dragic when the Heat play? I mean, they, they have a negative point differential in general too, which I don't know. That one really, there's no way Dragic should have been an All Star over Simmons. Nope. It's teams looking at the standing and picking a player, or coaches, I mean, looking at the standings and picking a player. It's maddening. So, do you think that Simmons or Kemba would have? I mean, because isn't Silver basically looking? At the coaches' selections yep. and just picking the next player. Uh well, right now the 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 win gap is only three games. Like the Sixers have three more wins than the Hornets, but that's not the question. The question is what was the gap when the coaches voted on it? And I'm not entirely sure exactly when the coaches voted on it. I feel like the Hornets were probably in a slump, so that might help Ben's chances. But I also think the coaches are going to dock Ben because he's a rookie, and Kemba's a much more established name. And if I'm being honest, I think Kemba is having a better season, and I think he's more deserving of it, which frustrates me, because if you had taken these four guys that we're talking about, Kemba Walker, Ben Simmons, Andre Drummond, Goran Dragic, I would have had Kemba Walker as the most deserving all-star of that group. Second would have either been Ben Simmons or Andre Drummond. Uh, Drummond's putting up really great stats. I'm not in love with him as a player. I'd probably go Ben Simmons over him, but certainly Ben Simmons at least third. So... Is Ben Simmons deserving of having one of these three reserve spots? Yes, I believe that to be the case. But because they fucked up and put Goran Dragic in there, I'm not sure he's deserving of being selected ahead of Kemba Walker, which is why if it doesn't happen this time, I don't think it's going to be a travesty. What what did Embiid say last night, too? Uh, he, he said... He had some uh, uh, really creative language. Yeah, colorful. Yeah, I think he, I think he said... I hope they don't do the same bullshit they yeah. did last the last few times. And then talked about 
he wanted Ben to join him in a dance number uh, for All-Star Weekend, which he then proceeded to pretend was top-secret material, even though I'm pretty sure they dance, uh, you know, for introductions for the All-Star Game every year. But, you know. Uh, they told me yeah. I'm going to have to dance in front of everybody, so it would be good to have another teammate next to me dancing so I don't get scared, is uh, is the Joel Embiid quote. Yeah, so I, you know, that's what it comes down to. I, I totally agreed with your rankings, and you know, I think the the gap between Simmons and Walker, I, Kemba's having the best year. His God, the the offensive responsibility he has on that team is pretty crazy. Uh, he and Ben's, but Ben's a better defender, so you know, I, I think that helps sort of close the gap a little bit. Kemba, I would take him over Ben too. So it, like you said, not. Uh, this particular selection wouldn't be a travesty, but the whole process of putting Dragic and Drummond in first is just ridiculous. Yep. No, the, the travesty was the last one. Before we get to the trade deadline, a real quick word from our sponsor, Stamps.com. If you're like us, you probably have a million things on your mind and looking for any and every way to get things done more efficiently. Luckily, these days, you can get just about anything done online and on demand. Did you know that you can even get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Well, you can. With Stamps.com, you can print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package right from the comfort of your own home or office. All available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, when it's convenient for you. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale so you can weigh your letters and packages and print the exact amount of postage every time. And it's so easy to use. Just click print, mail, and you're done. Stamps.com will save you a ton of time. You can access all the services of the post office right from your desk. It's never been easier to send out your letters and packages. I recently helped organize a wedding for a family member and used Stamps.com to send out invitations and save the dates. And let me tell you, it couldn't have been easier, more convenient, or more economical. Exactly what I was looking for during a very busy and stressful time. I've even worked out a special offer with Stamps.com for my listeners that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BEAT. That's Stamps.com, enter BEAT. All right. We have the trade deadline coming up now in, well, I guess now it would be, what, maybe... 18 hours from when we're recording this, uh, it will be Thursday at 3 p.m. So we will go to the mailbag, which we got a, a number of different questions in from readers. And I lost. Here we go. I am real organized. All right. So the first question from Luke Smith, L underscore Glover 71. What would it take to get Marco Bellinelli from the Hawks? Second round pick, right? Oh, it, it sure as hell better not be a first. They're not getting that. I mean, what what else could you give? Uh, I mean, you could always give players. Like, I think one of the guys that's kind of under the radar that could be traded is Rashawn. Like, he's clearly just out of this organization's plans. He's at, he's lost favor of the coaches. I don't think the coaches trust him. So, if you have a guy who maybe another team values more than the Sixers, it makes sense that that could be used as a trade chip. I don't think you're going to have to throw in more than a second round pick to get Bellinelli, though. Like, I feel like the market for him should be a second. Yeah, and good shooter too. Good shooter. Yeah, and I mean, how many, how many seconds do the Sixers have this year? I'm looking at it. it seems four? like two. Is it only uh, two? It might have been four, but they traded. I don't remember. No, there's three. Okay, so they have the better of the Brooklyn or Cleveland second round pick, Brooklyn. Uh, the better of the Clippers or Nick second rounder. Yep, and then their own. And then their own. So. So it could yeah, still I mean, be five I mean, picks in this draft, which is amazing. Yeah, what uh, would you be okay with trading a second round pick for Bellinelli? I mean, would I burn Philadelphia down? No, I think he'll help. I think they need help on the bench. I think they need shooting off the bench, which is something Brett Brown mentioned yesterday before the game. I think he's probably worth a second round pick. I'm just not sure. Like, I think they still have a pretty good chance of making the playoffs, even though um, Detroit is playing better. But I think there are still a. I think Basketball Reference had him at about a 90% chance, and 538 had him like 88%. So 
So they're both pretty bullish. And I think looking at their schedule, looking at how they're played, looking at at, uh, at how healthy they are, I think they should have a pretty good chance of making the playoffs. So at this point, it's like, okay, well, what's it, what's it, what's he really going to add? Is he going to help them win a round? Well, I don't, I don't know if I see them winning a round. Is he going to help them catch, you know, make up the four or five game difference between themselves and the Wizards or the Cavs? You know, Cavs are playing like dog shit. The Wizards are without Wall for an extended period of time, but I'm not sure I see this team being consistent enough to do that either. So. Am I okay with it? I guess I'd be okay with it, but I'm not necessarily sure. Like it, it, it's just it. I think I like draft picks more than the Sixers do, so this would not be the worst usage in the world of sending those away. Yeah, I I wouldn't do it. Uh, I think they need scoring more than you know shot creation, more than pure shooting. I I would personally rather have. TLC or Justin Anderson or somebody take up those minutes on the bench. And even if they're bad, I, I just like to see them play in big games. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I think whenever I talk about these second-round picks, because they have, I think, 10 coming up in the next three years, they're going to sell a lot of them. And the ones yeah. they don't sell, they're going to use on stashes. Uh, so I think when I'm like, yeah, sure, okay, or like, I won't hate it. And that's really what I just said, I won't hate it. It's really because I can think of so many other ways they're going to use it, and it's I just don't see them sticking around. It's a good point. So yeah, I mean that's and for that reason, you know, if they decide to trade a second for Bailey, whatever. But I mean, it's like you said, he's he's. My question is always come back to what what's really the end goal, and I don't think any of these guys that we're going to talk about is really going to change that. Like if if you ask me probability wise, what's the chance to get out of the second round? or out of the first round, and what's the chance that they make the playoffs? I'm not sure either of those two probabilities really change all that much. Like, the Sixers just aren't good enough to really take advantage of uh, of being a, a buyer at the deadline. Which brings us to another question. It was from... Uh, hold on. From Rexadelphia at Rexadelphia. Are the Sixers buyers or sellers at this year's trade deadline? If anything, buyers. The the uh, the real answer to me is probably neither. But See, I, mean, I, still, I still think the most likely move is trying to trade Jared Bayless. Now I don't know if that is most likely to happen because I think they're going to have a little bit of a tough time doing that. Like I think there just aren't very many teams right now that are willing to give up cap space in 2018. So I'm not sure if they're going to be successful doing that, but I feel like that is their priority, which to me makes them a little bit of a seller. Okay. I would even call that buying because that's such a bad deal. Buying cap space? Yeah. Uh, So, uh, okay, in terms of that, what do you think the market is generally for Bayless in terms of what else you'd have to attach for a team to eat that contract? See, I think this is where you might start getting in the Rashawn Holmes territory. Like, See, that doesn't that doesn't bother me. Well, like Rashawn and a second round pick is what I was getting at, but that's where I think he could end up being used as a sweetener, like a, a a physical. Remember when the Sixers would make those trades and Brett's like, "This is a tangible guy I can touch," but I think a physical, tangible guy that they can touch who has shown a little bit in the NBA might be a little more intriguing than a second round pick. So maybe you package that with the second you get out of Bayless's contract. I'd be a, Okay with that, cool. just because I think um, Rashawn is so far out of their plans, and moving Bayless is clearly something you want to do. That I would be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't take away the uh, the first terrible move completely. That was still ridiculous signing him to three years. But if it was just Rashawn, the second round pick, that's a deal they should be making. You know, I, and I would be on board with that for sure. Oh, let's see. From okay, there guy, uh, Leroy on Twitter. How would the Sixers need to finish for it to be considered a failure of a season? Well, I see. We I don't really think of the teams win losses in terms of failure. Uh, and even more than that, I don't think of making the playoffs as a success or failure. Like if uh, they win, if they win random. forty games and miss the playoffs rather than forty-one games and make the playoffs, I don't think Brett goes from. 
although I know this will end up on Twitter. I don't think Brett goes from a good coach to a bad coach. I don't think the season goes from a success to a failure. I think it means they lost one more game than maybe you hoped they would have. But I do think, like, if they just completely tank and not intentionally but unintentionally tank and end up, you know, what are they at, 26 wins? If they end up at, like, 35 wins, then that I think that would be a failure but not so much making the playoffs or not. But I, I'm with you. I think most of what I, I judge success or failure is how Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Markel Fultz play. So, and so far? Two out of three ain't bad. Two out of three is really good, and then the other third is a complete failure. So Sixer season, know. meatloaf in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, so, I, you know, I... They make the playoffs. I, I I think the Sixers feel pretty good about the spot they're in right now. I mean, they obviously have had some crazy ups and downs. And God, I mean, some of these losses just they they take two years off your life, you know, with just how they blow these leads, and it's just spectacular. But at twenty six and twenty five, with a really easy schedule on the way in, Simmons playing well, even though she's still got to figure out the jump shot, and that's. You know, that's a thing. But Embiid healthy and playing really well. Embiid's played so, more games and more minutes than J.J. Redick. Yeah. If you had told me that at the beginning of the season, I would have lost my mind. Granted, part of that is because J.J.'s missed 11 games. But still, Embiid's been, been very available. Very available. And even the minor guys. I mean, Saric has had a really good season. Yep. So, you know, for the most part, if they keep this up, you know, we'll see where they finish. I mean, if they keep this up, I expect them to be in the playoffs. So, you know, I don't think there will be too many people calling the season a failure. Correct. Um, I'm right there with you. And I, I think the Dario development, too. You know, we, we talk about the top three guys and they're really being what matters. And by and large, that's true. Uh, but Dario stepping up the way he has and, you know, showing that jumper and making what we think is a big step in that regard, which now makes him a lot more playable on the offensive end with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, even if he still has some defensive uh, struggles fitting in. That's a huge step for his development. That's a huge step for him as an NBA player. And that's that's a big success for the season, too. So I'm right there with you. We had a lot of concerns about him coming into the concerns. season. A lot of concerns, yep. Quiet, like quiet concerns, and he has done a really good job answering a lot of those. From uh, Ron Zagorski, Z- Zagorski underscore Ron on Twitter. What's Bayless shooting in the fourth quarter of the season? Don't have to get into this one. I checked it. 39% from the field, 35% from three. Probably not as bad as you would have expected. Uh, Just that all all those misses feel magnified. Well, what I will say, when I looked this up maybe a week, 10 days ago, when the Sixers were up by six or more points, he was shooting 22% from three. So if it feels like every time the Sixers are up, Bayless misses a shot, it's Pretty close to being true. Pretty close. Um, all right, from CJ Branch at CJ Branch, uh, what's up with the inconsistencies of Rashawn Holmes in the lineup? We pretty much addressed that. The coaching staff doesn't trust him on the as a defensive decision maker. Like they just they don't trust that he's going to be in the right spots. I had a guy on my flight home from the Super Bowl who a really nice Eagles and Sixers fan who. When we were talking about the Sixers, that was the main thing he wanted to know. I mean, he wanted to know about Fultz, too. And when I couldn't really give him a good answer on that, that that was the question that was bothering him the most. Why can't Rashawn play? And I was trying to explain to him, you know, I'm not saying I agree with the coaching staff 100%, but I do see their point in that he he makes the plays that stand out and jump off the screen and then the things that are sort of hidden that are secretly harmful, he racks up those. And that's kind of what I was trying to explain to him. Yes, he does. Um, you know, I had one person talk ask me, like, who has the lowest basketball IQ on the team? I think that's an overly simplified way of looking at it because I think there's, you know, some guys really recognize and do some things well, some guys on the other end don't. And I think if you were on the, talking about defense, Rashawn might have the lowest defensive IQ on the team. And I think... I would have a longer leash for him than the coaching staff does, just because I think his offense is legitimately valuable. It's sure. it's legitimately unique and something that the Sixers don't have anyone else who can really provide. So I would probably have a longer leash for him. 
But I also don't think they're wrong when they say, look, we just we can't trust this guy to be in the right spots defensively. And when your center's out of place, your entire defense breaks down. And that that's where Rashawn is at. I think if you read between the lines, they're probably frustrated with his lack of progress in that regard. So are they wrong? I don't know if they're wrong. I think I'd, I would probably have a longer leash. But I, I understand at least the viewpoint of why they don't play him. And that, that's why I think he should be moved, because I think he does have talent. I think he does have a role in this league. He's got to make not one step, but two or three or four steps defensively. But I think somebody's going to want to take a chance on that talent. You know, as not not in a sneakily bad basketball IQ, but an inconsistent one, just, just from watching the games recently, TJ McConnell commits some of the craziest fouls. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Some he of the, has, some he of the has no. Yep. He has no idea when they're in the penalty. None. <laughs> and the whole team fouling jump shooters. I swear to God. I swear to God. TLC and 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 McConnell are both bad at that. But really, everybody seems like they just love they, Trevor Booker. God bless you. Close out under control next time, please, please. <laughs> uh. All right. Moving on. But yes, I I I agree with you. Um. From John Barber, at Joba underscore dog, how do you feel about those Fultz dunks? You might not have seen these. They were um, from Friday night, I want to say. Uh, I, saw, I saw one of them. Okay. Yeah. He'd, he'd basically come from full court, uh, do a couple in-and-out dribbles, change direction, and throw it down. Look, it's great. I mean, he's a nice athlete. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I care insofar as that is a – Big reason why we were so high on him last June, like his quickness, his ball handling, his his ability to keep his dribble live, his body control, his explosiveness. Those are all great skills that he legitimately does have. And as much as we might be down on, on not fulls, but frustrated with the situation, don't read that as us not recognizing the talent that he has. But in terms of coming back from his injury... That's not why he's not playing. He's not playing because, you know, they're not sure if he can run up and down the court and dunk. He's not playing because they don't know if he can shoot. And when I see him consistently shoot from 15 to 17 feet, that's when I will get excited about the return of Markel Fultz. Yeah. Hey, hey, man, I, I didn't forget how talented he was. I didn't forget how smooth and, you know, some of the nice, strong finishes he can make in traffic, even though he's not you know, a Dennis Smith level athlete. I I know about all that stuff, but guess what? Until we can see him shoot, that stuff doesn't matter. All right. So Brian McGuire uh, on Twitter, why the Sixers provided no faults update and where is Colangelo? Great question. I agree. Yeah, I think we already <laughs> talked about this one. <laughs> and by the way, he's, if the Sixers make a move of any consequence, he will talk probably on Friday. Maybe Thursday. I forget which. I think it was Friday last year, right? I think he talked the day after. But yep. regardless, he will talk if they make a move of consequence. He might even talk if they don't make a move um, because you kind of have to explain why you didn't make a move. And unless it's a major move, major, major, major move, which I give about a 1% chance of happening, 95% of those questions are going to be at Markel Fultz. Like, you will have him give an opening statement you'll probably have one or two follow-up questions about the move that they make. And then it will be all, all Markel Fultz from there. And he should have talked before then. We we said earlier about how Brett has been left on an island maybe more than he ever has because he's had to explain the unexplainable situation. And right now, we kind of have to ask him some pointed questions because we have nobody else that we can talk to. He'll Brett will frequently say, well, you'll have to ask Markel about that or you'll have to ask the trainer about about that. We can't. We don't get access to the training staff. We don't get access to Markel. We don't get access to the Brian Colangelo. Everything has to run through Brett. So when we get a chance to talk to the guy in charge, yeah, that, that topic's going to come up. So hopefully this week. If I get, if on Friday, I get Jared Bayless's contracts off the books and I get the chance to ask uh, Brian Colangelo about Markel Fultz, that's a win for me. That's a huge win. Great trade deadline. Good job, Brian. Uh, well, neither of those things are going to happen now. <laughs> I will say, good on them for having no practice tomorrow. Very happy about that. Um, from Omar Chumar, 
what am I possibly missing about playing Booker at the four? Is there something that could be improved upon over time? So Booker and Embiid have played 210 minutes together. And they have a positive 1.1 net rating. So it's not quite as disastrous as a lot of people think. But to me, that just screams that Embiid can play with anybody. He's awesome. He can make it work. Uh, to me, that can't get any better. I, it just It's just clunky on the offensive end. It's it's just not the way you'd want to play. To me, I would rather them go wing heavy and bump Covington more over to the four when you have to. And let's see more of Anderson. Maybe Anderson plays a little four too. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. I, it looks so bad and the results aren't quite as bad as I thought. And, you know, I think we're starting to see Brett, you know, even though he's played and maybe perhaps because he's played all of those young players and cast off for all those years, he's just like a lot of NBA coaches. He trusts the veterans for some reason. Yeah, and I mean, he trusts the veterans that are also probably his more reliable players. And that group sadly includes Booker, even though he's not a fit at all. And, you know, I think when you look at that 1.1 net rating, you know, I think there's two ways to look at it. First of all, I think there is Embiid just good enough, like you said, that he can make Oddball lineups work. Especially against bench units, too. Right. So when Embiid and Booker are on the floor, are they killing themselves? No, they're not. And because of that, you can say, okay, we can get away with this lineup for 10 minutes a night. Which you can. But the question becomes much more, well, is that maximizing what you can get when Embiid's on the court? Because you already know when Embiid's off the court, you're going to struggle to stay with them. So you want to make up as much ground as you can when Joel's on on the floor. And you have a guy in Joel who, when they're on the court, played a plus 9.1 net rating. So outscore their opponent by 9.1 points per 100 possessions. So to drop that all the way down to 1.1 is really limiting their effectiveness. And then when you look at Booker with Amir Johnson, without looking it up, what would you guess a Booker and Amir Johnson lineup operates at? Well, I mean, I think because you're asking me, let's go minus 10. Minus 17 in 71 minutes. Minus 17 per 100 in 71 minutes. They score 94.4 points per 100, give up 111.4. So that really shows you, A, I don't think you're wrong when you wonder, you know, what am I missing about Booker at the four? I don't think he is a four. I think he's a, a small five at this point in his career. But I think when he's with Joel, you can kind of make it work or at least not get killed because Joel is that good. When you replace Joel, there's no fucking chance. So can it get better? You know, I think maybe Booker can learn where to pick his spots better. Like he's one of the things about Booker is he's always going to go for an offensive rebound. That's what he does. But when you do that, you gum up the paint for a guy like Joel trying to post up. You make his life more difficult. So maybe Booker could learn maybe to play the baseline a little bit better, maybe to cut a little more frequently than he does, and not go for that offensive rebound. Maybe he can learn, you know, there was like a three or four possession span last night where he tried to post up every fucking time when Joel was on the court. Maybe he could learn not to do that anymore. So maybe there are some margins that could be played, but is it all of a sudden going to be, you know, a plus eight per 100 lineup? No, I don't don't think, like, I I don't think Booker's a good fit with Joel. And... You know, I think real early I I put a tweet out that, you know, these Booker and Bead lineups have to stop. And it's not because plus one plus one point one is getting you killed, but because there's just there's better combinations out there. I agree with you. Put Covet the four. Let Ben Simmons defend the four. Let Dario defend the four. Like fucking go Justin Anderson at the four when you're on the bench. I don't I don't particularly care, especially when Embiid's in a lineup, because you can get away with so much. These Booker at the four lineups, I don't like either, and and I agree with you. And I think Brett, like like you said, wants his veterans out there, wants a guy that he trusts to make the right decisions, especially defensively. And Booker's one of his best in that regard, but it's just the, the skill sets just don't fit. They don't fit. Next question. Yeah, all right. Um, let's see. From Harrison G., uh, what's the most realistic trade deadline deal you can see happening for the Sixers? 
Probably Bellinelli. Yeah, if, if you're talking about acquisition, like I said, I thought maybe the most realistic was moving Bayless. But if you're talking about acquisition, Bellinelli, Joe Johnson, like those are the two names that are so irrelevant that will cost you virtually nothing that I could see the Sixers doing. I so Joe. Talk about exciting, huh? I'm not sure. It's not Brett's ball movement philosophy. I'm not sure he fits it with all those ISOs. Oh, no, he doesn't. But I can see it. Um, from uh, Dave Talon, 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 I don't know. Reports might sound like BC would give up a first for Tyreek if, if Bayless was included in the deal. What is the likelihood of that happening? Slim. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think they're giving up a first. And I, I clearly think as good as... Tyreek Evans has played this year. I think nineteen five and five. They're really, really efficient. Not turning the ball over. Like he, he's truly having the best year of his career. And I think he would help. Like I, I looked it up. I think it was like forty six percent of his half court possessions were in the pick and roll, which the Sixers just don't have right now. So would he make the team better? Yeah. But it kind of goes back to Bellinelli. Even though Tyreek is a better player, like what does that really mean? Are they beating, you know, the Raptors or the Celtics in a series? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, and I think they'll make the playoffs anyway. So I think at the end of the day, you're probably looking at a first, at best, a second round exit. And Tyreek's a guy who you can't really keep around after this year, because he signed a one year deal. He's going to have a cap hold of 120 percent of his current salary, which is like 3.9 million, or the cap hold would be 3.9. He's making 3.3 now. And the max you could offer him without using cap space, meaning using his non bird rights, is 3.9 million. So it's not even like you can acquire him, go out, spend the rest of your cap, and then go over the cap to sign him. That's that's not really an option. You either sign him with, with some of your cap space or you're limited to 3.9. So if you want Tyreek Evans here long term, just go out and sign him next summer. Keep the keep the draft pick. And if you want him here now, okay, sure. Like if, if you're talking about a second-round pick, I'll take a flyer, see if maybe he can help you win around the playoffs. But I'm not I'm not giving up a first-round pick for that. So the question becomes, if there's a small gain by adding Tyreek and there's a small gain by moving Bayless's contract, do those two small gains add up to a first-round pick? And I just don't think I'm there quite yet. Not for me. Yep, and it's it's the first-round pick that, that is more uh, the holdup here. I, I would not even – if they gave a second up for Tyreek, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. You know, they they wouldn't even have to take Bayless's contract back. Um they just said, hey, you know, the, sec- the second round pick, whatever one it is, if it's the, the Brooklyn one, that's fine. Uh, and the Sixers decided, hey, I, we think Tyreek can get us, you know, he can help us win another round. I, it, it goes back to the Bellinelli thing. That that would be okay with me. But, you know, in terms of giving up any sort of first that's like lottery protected or anything like that, I – I wouldn't do it, and I'm pretty sure the Sixers would just hang up on the Grizzlies there. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're at the level yet where they need to be giving up first round picks for the Tyreek Evans types. Nor do I think that's necessarily a, a good strategy for many teams. I do think if you got, let's say you got in the summer, and Paul George said, "Look, if you can throw me a max, I'll come," then you trade Jared Bayless for a first round pick. But that certainty, or at least that confidence is crucial in being willing to make that move. I don't I don't make that move now in uh now in February. Um, agreed. Yeah. You, you have to you have to know that you're using the 2018 cap space on something good long term. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So we're si- we're sitting here tomorrow night emergency pod because they made a big trade. Last uh last guess what is it? The emergency trade? Hmm. I mean, it's just what do you think they're going to do? What do I actually think they're going to do? Yep. Nothing. I don't think they're going to be able to get rid of Bayless. And I mean, like, and the more I think about it, Bellinelli, I could see. But I mean, in terms of any sort of big move, in terms of buying or selling, I I, I can't see it. Yeah. No, Bellinelli was who I was going to say. Um, and that's that's just speculation. I got I got nothing there. Anything else? No, oh, man. We got a what do we got a back to back coming up this weekend after uh, 
after the trade deadline and parade here? Is this back to back? Yeah. Oh, I got the schedule right here. How? Uh, yeah, by yeah, the way, Friday I didn't, and Saturday. I, don't I didn't see that game at all. How did Embiid look in the second game? He looked okay. Um, I believe that was what the Pacers game. Yes. Embiid looked fine. He looked like he got fouled at one point and hit his right hand and was kind of holding it a little bit. Uh, that was my only real concern there. He individually, like from a physical standpoint, he looked like he held up. Well, that's encouraging because I would imagine they'll try and run that back this weekend. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that's something they're gonna say. Okay, you can you play back to back. You went fine. Oh, but now you're not playing back to back. Like I think they, unless something happens, I think they're gonna stick with that plan. All right. Well, before we head out, I just want to give a, a real quick shout out and dedicate this episode to a dear family member and my best friend Sheba Cat, who lost his four year fight with cancer this week. Rest in peace, little buddy. Miss you. Love you.